If it so happens that you are a human being and that you live on the planet Earth, then you can pretty much guarantee that the need to forgive someone is going to come up in your life and there may be a battle in your soul over this. As a matter of fact, I bet it's going to happen more than once. And yet even knowing this, we still are often broadsided by the offenses that can come hurling at us unexpectedly. So if you are human, and if you do live on planet Earth, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer. You will be inspired, equipped, and find strength for every battle you face. Hello, welcome back to Storming the Gates, the podcast that celebrates the power of prayer. I am Joni Scott, and I am your host here. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus' own prayer, also known as the Lord's Prayer, where we see in Matthew 6, 6 verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Before we dive in, I just want to remind you that you can sign up for the newsletter following the links below, and you'll also get some free prayer cards when you do so. And they're prayer cards that have to do with forgiveness, and uh, they out there spring designed, and they're just great to keep in your Bible or wherever you know you just spend time meditating on God's word to think about that and to allow the Lord to work in your life through His word. It's amazing how His word just meditating on it makes all the difference. And don't forget to like and comment and subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Okay, so that said, uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness. I recently heard someone say, forgiveness is warfare. And I am definitely going to be touching on that subject again in the next podcast when I interview Belle Bimel about this subject. But I have been mulling that phrase over. Forgiveness is warfare. Because forgiveness opens a gate of God's power to move and change a situation. When we hold on to our bitterness, we hinder the work God wants to do through prayer. However, we can stop listening to lies Satan is whispering about our right to be angry, and we can forgive anyway. And then, whoosh, God will meet you with his power and you will have gained authority in certain areas, okay? Uh, I have had many, many opportunities to practice this challenging task called forgiveness, and I've also desperately needed forgiveness from others, especially after my own, own foibles held me captive. But for today's episode, I'm actually going to focus on one specific story from my life years ago. I am going to change a number of details to pr- protect... Uh, protect the innocent or the guilty, I should say. But I do want to be raw and honest because this story does explain how God taught me powerful principles about forgiveness. And I do want to say from the outset, forgiveness long ago washed over the things that happened in this story and I bear no one ill will. So we're going to start with a bike ramp. It's a bike ramp that I could see from my kitchen window as I cooked and washed dishes. It looked something like the giant warp wall on the show Ninja Warriors. It was about 10 feet high and just as wide. It was made with long curved plywood and a thin platform topped it off. The thing took up a huge portion of my yard. 
while my teenagers loved running up it and sitting on the platform because it overlooked our neighborhood. But I hated it. I hated it because it represented a memory that soured in my mind every time I thought about it. After laboring for a few difficult years in the cold, hard fields of a small northern town, my husband Thomas and I had finally managed to gather a small group and start meeting on Sundays. After those years of struggle, facing rejection and financial difficulties, this was a big deal. We were finally moving into position to see our vision of a church plant come to pass. But we lacked what we considered to be an important ingredient. We did not have a worship leader. We met a man at a pastor's conference, and I'm going to call his name James Smith. He was a truly gifted worship leader. We were chatting together after a session, and James invited us to have lunch with him and his three kids, and we enjoyed getting to know the single dad. We had no expectations of him, you know, doing anything specific for us. But the next year we visited, James told us he had not stopped thinking about our lunch discussions. He told us he had been inspired by our story and that he felt led by God to join us in our new work in Michigan's snow-covered Upper Peninsula. So we're like, someone wants to come and help us up here in the middle of nowhere and a worship leader? Whoa, that was a miracle. So James stepped down from the church in Minnesota where he was currently ministering and prepared to move. A little bit after that, his former pastor called us. Hey, the pastor told us, you guys are involved in a new church plant. I need to warn you, you do not want to bring this guy on. He's a handful. Well, we were needy. And we thought, no, no one's so kind, so gifted musically, and so willing to move to our little village in the north could give us a hard time. So a few months later, James and his two young girls and teen son were residing in our home. And together we were enjoying great fellowship and worshiping together, and our kids got along great. That James's oldest son, Darren, worked with his father to create the large wooden ramp for his trick bike riding. Well, we expected our young fledgling congregation to begin flourishing now that we had an anointed musician like James alongside us. And yet, from the time he came along, instead of our church growing and exploding with new members, our church began to shrink. And the offering, which once was a constant, surprising source of provision began to dry up. Even some of the teenagers who had recently found the Lord and had been excited about their new faith became as scarce as bobcat sightings. Something was wrong, but we couldn't figure it out. On our end, everything seemed wonderful. God had just began to work, pouring out his spirit on the teens and the young adults, and then he had brought James. And instead, everything had halted. Well, we talked about it, and finally, my husband called one of the families that had not attended in a few weeks and asked them, what's happening? Well, they hemmed and they hawed, but they finally admitted that James had come over and told them all about what terrible people my husband and I were. 
James had told this family he saw how we really were, because, after all, he lived with, with us now. He saw things that no one else did. And the things he shared were as warped as the bike ramp at my yard. He took jokes we had told and twisted them to make us look crazy. He claimed my husband's propensity to ask me for advice at times was because he secretly believed I was the very voice of God. Trust me, that was not true at the time. <laughs> my husband Thomas rejected a lot of my suggestions. But anyway, he told the family um, that our household was out of order. And then James would say that this was a grave secret. And please pray because I don't know what to do about it. We were like, what is going on? So my husband called a couple more people that we hadn't seen for a while. And we soon learned that James had gone to every single person, including the new believers, including the teens, individually, and told them whatever lie he thought would most incur, you know, most enrage the person. There's a different story and a, and a different offense was told to each one. And then they were told not to tell anyone, even though James himself was sharing these atrocious lies far and wide in our small town of only 2,000 people. It was a town so small, gossip like this was going to spread quick and devour a person's reputation as quick as a spreading forest fire in the summer's heat. Well, like we had done, the people we previously ministered to thought, nah, no one so kind, so gifted, musically, so willing to move to our little village in the north could be bad. You know, James came across friendly, kind, and caring. We'd been totally deceived ourselves. So we soon realized that James had designs on the church and wanted to take over what we had started and make it his own. He moved out of our house and he started a Bible study with those who once attended our church. Well, we sat home alone and we questioned God's call and our ability to continue the work. It was not long before James's attempt at starting a church floundered and failed. In a very short time, his true colors did emerge. And feeling rejected by the people, one fall day, he and his offspring disappeared before the first snowflakes dropped. There were still a handful of people committed to our church, but by now it had a very faint heartbeat. And my own heart was dark and cold from the hatred that kept surging through my mind every single time I saw that ramp left behind just like so much carnage in the Smith's wake. Now, I have to go off on a little tangent here because God was kind to meet us in this time, and I want to tell you about that. So despite the battle that I begin to have with unforgiveness, God did come through. We canceled our services, and we canceled the building that we were renting for those services. And my husband declared that we were going to stop everything, and we were going to begin to fast and pray once a week until God did something. <laughs> so about four beleaguered but dedicated people joined us at that first prayer meeting. And we had pretty heavy hearts as we joined hands and we prayed. Now, as we prayed, a picture emerged in my mind. I saw a broken down stone foundation. 
like you might see on an old barn, you know, they're maybe like two feet up before the wood starts. And then one of those stones had a bunch of eyes looking all around. <laughs> yeah, it had eyes. It was the oddest thing. I mean, it was it was comical, like a cartoon. Now, I also had the impression a janitor was coming to clean it all up and was going to relay a new foundation. So I shared what I was seeing with the small group about the janitor and about the foundation. But I did leave off the weird eyes because I wanted them to take me seriously after all. But the next day, I just happened to be reading Zechariah 3. And verse 9 says, See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone. I mean, I dropped my Bible. I did. I just knelt with my face to the floor because then I realized God had met with us at that prayer meeting. And I had to repent for not sharing what he had actually given me. The whole chapter of Zechariah 3 was about clean clothes and fresh starts. And clearly, that was what God wanted us to know. He was going to build a new temple. That's what Zechariah is talking about, the new temple. So for us, that meant a new firm foundation. And after a year of prayer, a fresh group of young adults came along and found Jesus. And it was the beginning of a new church that is still alive today, even though we have left that area many years ago. But even as God was relaying the new foundation, I was seething at James. He had moved to another state while we were stuck with a giant wooden ramp and a badly damaged reputation. And that ramp came to represent all the rubbish left behind in my heart. It was heavy, it was immovable, and it was unbreakable. And like the sludge in my own soul, unforgiveness was threatening to choke out my life. And I knew harboring unforgiveness was wrong. And I tried not to think about the things that angered me, but then I'd see that dumb ramp. So I cried out to God for help. And I read scripture after scripture about forgiveness. Like this story in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'm going to read it to you from the Bible. Verse 21 says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, Peter thought he was being, he was being a good Christian man. Jesus said, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, Jesus goes on, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Think of it, back in those days, you could sell someone because they owed you money. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. 
When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured till he had paid his entire debt. Jesus concluded with this. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Whew, that's serious business. Now, I knew that this story was me. In fact, I was forgiven when, as a rebellious youth, God came in and gave me a new life. In fact, I would have, I would have probably died. I often think I would have died um, a, a lot younger <laughs> than I am today had I continued that lifestyle. And I still remember that before I found the Lord, I was constantly rehashing out loud and to myself all the pain I'd caused people. I was always trying to justify my bad behaviors. Well, I did it because of this. I did it because of that. Victim, victim, you know, whatever. I was on a bad path and my heart condemned me. But then I accepted Jesus into my life and I was forgiven. And I finally understood the relief I was seeking when I was justifying my sinful life was found in acknowledging that I was a sinner and that I needed to accept the glorious gift of forgiveness. So I understood all that. And yet, here I was, mentally beating up someone who was no longer around. And to be honest, most likely couldn't care less how I felt. That unforgiveness was like a large python wrapping me up tighter and tighter and suffocating the life out of me, zapping my strength to serve God. I did repent. I repented of this unforgiveness, but my feelings refused to budge. And I didn't know where James had gone, but in unrelenting anger one day, I sat down and I composed a long letter to him. In the letter, I went over every single thing he had said and that he had done that was wrong and why it was wrong and how it had hurt us and how it had hurt the work for God we were trying to accomplish. I outlined every offense one by one on notebook paper until I had filled nine pages. There, I'm thinking, pulling the paper from the spiral binding and folding it up, placing it in an envelope. It's out of my mind. It's on this paper. And one day, when I learn where that man is, I'm going to give it to him. Well, I hoped writing it all out of my troubled mind would free me from the python's grasp. Now I didn't have to mentally rehash every wrong thing that he had done. But I was still not released. I simply knew now where to find all the information that I was trying to forget. I thought to myself, I could get over this if only I didn't have to look at that ramp. It's right there in front of me every day. James had left without taking it down, and now we are stuck. Even a sledgehammer wouldn't affect that thick wooden monstrosity. It was built well, we had to admit that. We didn't have the money to hire someone, and we were just too busy at that time to figure it out ourselves. You know what? Don't you think God at times puts giant ramps before us? If I could have looked away 
the bitterness in my soul might have remained hidden in a dark corner, spinning webs of death and destruction, slowly sucking my blood while I pretend everything's fine. And I might also mention paralyzing me from being able to continue the work God had given us. But instead, I had to face that ramp every day. And I was forced to deal with the hatred I harbored. Well, one summer day, the kids were outside playing in the hose while I sipped ice lemonade. Per usual, I glowered at the ramp directly next to them, despising its creators. I thought it would be a perfect day outside, enjoying laughter and sunshine, except I have to see that thing. And the thickness of my anger was shocking even to myself. It was so dark and slimy, and it was weighing me down like the change Ebenezer Scrooge's partner, Jacob Marley, lugged around. I really couldn't bear it any longer. While the girls giggled under a spray of cool water, I turned and marched inside. I found my small son's fat toddler-sized crayons, and I chose black on purpose. And then I took the long letter from my shelf with its many pages of offense, and across each page, I inscribed the word forgiven. Over and over, in a desperate fury, I pressed down hard and insistently writing in a thick, large scrawl that filled the entire page, forgiven, 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 until I had completed the mission. And I held those pages up to God and I yelled, I forgive him. And then I placed it back in the envelope and back on my shelf. I had chosen to forgive. You know what? I had been waiting, waiting for like a sense of love or a a new understanding to fill my heart. I wanted God to miraculously wash my anger with his compassion. That had not happened. I had to make a choice. In order to survive, I needed to choose to obey the mandate that I knew existed. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And from that day forward, whenever I thought of some incident that angered or upset me, I would tell that thought, I forgave him. I chose to take the unloving thought captive and I would step on its ugly head. I did not feel forgiving. I didn't feel forgiveness at all. It was a ruthless mental decision to tell my emotions they are not going to reign over me. And I had to do it. The weight of unforgiveness was just too much to bear. Then one day, as summer greens turned to autumn golds, I found myself gazing from my window, washing dishes. (laughs) And I was looking at the tall ramp and I felt nothing. There was no anger. No sadness, no unforgiveness. It was gone. My feelings had caught up at last with my decision. And that day I went back to the letter and I lit a small fire outside and without so much as a peek at the contents, I ceremoniously burned the entire thing. You know, my kids enjoyed many fun hours through the years as they ran up the ramp, grabbing its ledge and flipping onto the platform. Neighborhood kids came over to join them, and I began to love seeing them sitting in a line on top of it, sharing secrets or singing silly songs. The ramp weathered after a few winters. The wood turned gray and began to splinter. 
Then we held a demo day, and a group of young men from church had a blast tearing it down. The decades have gone by. James never reappeared. I have no idea where he is. Forgiveness, just like my Lord's gift of salvation, it's there for the taking. But one must come and get it to receive it. It is the story from my life that's instructed me the most about forgiveness, and I refer to it in my mind when some minor or major offense is hurled my way. The things I've learned, just to give you some bullet points here, is choose to forgive. One day, the feelings will follow. Secondly, obey God's word, whether you feel like doing it or not. Obey. Third, Don't let forgiveness slither into your heart. Stop the thoughts before they stop you. There is a Bible study in this month's newsletter, and I go into more depth there about the power of forgiveness. And don't forget to keep an eye out for the interview with Belle Bimel on the power of forgiveness. But if you're struggling with forgiveness today, um, maybe you need forgiveness, or maybe you're struggling with forgiving someone else, I'd like to pray for you today. Dear Lord, I lift up this battle, this battle that we have with forgiveness, Lord. It's tough to admit we're wrong, and sometimes it's tough to let go of offenses. We might even deserve the right to hang on to that offense, but we're not free, Lord. We're shackled and we are chained down. We are being um, suffocated. Lord, I pray for that freedom to come. I pray for that choice to be made that choice to be made before there's any feeling that says, I will forgive that person. And that choice to be made to accept your forgiveness if we ourselves need it, and to trust when you say that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the best part, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing that in our lives today. And we bless you, Lord. We thank you for your cleansing power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I would love to hear from you if you prayed that prayer with me. You can contact me and the information in the show notes. And I'd also love to hear anyone else's story of forgiveness. And to pray for you to burn off the offenses that are trying to suffocate you today. Let's be free. And I'll see you in a couple weeks again on Storming the Gates. Thank you once again for listening to Storming the Gates. Be sure to visit our website at stormingthegates.net. While there, sign up for the newsletter and you'll receive free prayer cards and a Bible study for each episode. Check the show notes for links to items mentioned in today's show. We'll see you here again for the next episode of Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer.